Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast. My name is Chris Bowne, I'm the web editor at Hotel Analyst, and as usual, I'm joined around the desk of insight by my two editorial colleagues, Andrew Sangster, the editorial director, and Catherine Dogrell, who writes our perspectives and edits them. And this week, as usual, we have three topics to discuss. Uh, that have caught our eye in uh, recent goings-on in the hotel sector. First off, we're going to talk about what Accor has been up to in developing its new uh, workspace brand, which I think is called Wojo. Uh, so farewell WeWork, no longer as exciting as Wojo. Is that right, Catherine? That is indeed right, yes. Wojo stands for, um, oh my goodness, I've completely forgotten yet again another name, another Accor brand and what it means. Um, <laughs> All right, a quick, I cannot, quick quiz, I cannot Catherine. Written, no, does, I can't do Accor local. <laughs> acronyms, Accor acronyms. What does all I still don't for? remember. And I've got, the, I've got the bag and I've got it on a bag and I carry the bag around and I take it shopping and I still don't know. Accor live limitless. Oh, Thank you. There we go. <laughs> Brilliant, there you go. Oh, the horror. So Wojo is short for work and mojo, thank goodness. And <laughs> don't lose your mojo, yeah. Exactly. Yes, I'm full of mojo, obviously, at work all the time. But uh, but yes, but this, this particular Wojo um, will be appearing in on all sorts of funny different locations. So in the corner, in a spot, in a hotel, anywhere where you can plausibly put your laptop, Wojo will appear. Um, and so, yes, eagle-eyed viewers will remember that... Um, um, in 2017, Accor um, created a joint venture to develop co-working spaces because there is nothing that a hotel likes more than being able to charge people to sit around with a laptop and stop them thieving off with its Wi-Fi. Um, they're not the only ones doing it. This is an Emma looking into it. Um, Marriott, as we know, have a table devoted to it in the new Sheraton brand. And uh, Accor decided... Oh, and a very special table it is, It is a very special rightly. table. It has lockable drawers. Um, and other features of a table that you would classically find on a on a table um so yeah plugs there we go and and a kind of a raised platform that you can put your coffee on which they are more than happy to sell you but then you don't knock your coffee into your laptop so to be fair it's pretty nifty table it made it into architectural digest um, but Aqua have made no mention of, of tables and whether it would be an architectural digest because their big plan is to just have it everywhere instead. So um, things were going kind of okay with Nextdoor, but when I spoke to Sebastian Bazan earlier this year, he said, if we're going to compete with WeWork, uh, we need to scale it up. Um, people do want to compete with WeWork because WeWork is just everywhere and consuming cash and, and people like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so if you're going to get on with it, best get on with it now. So we shall see how it goes. They were doing quite well with their initial plan under Nextdoor and uh, now Wojo could well be taking over. Watch any small space with interest. Last week, analysts at Morgan Stanley put out a report called Selling Sleep, Everything is Converging. And the point the report made was that the traditional demarcations between lodging categories, as the Americans always like to call hotels, um, that, that these categories are beginning to blur. Um, I think it's a bit wider than that. Um, the conclusion that the Morgan Stanley analysts reach uh, was that um, if you look at the global hotel brand majors, they had one of two strategies. Either they were sort of Accor-like or Marriott-like, and they were throwing themselves into the in, into the throng and, and getting stuck into all these different things, um, or they were more like Hilton and IHG and remaining focused um on the hotel business uh, morgan stanley doubted that both strategies can be right i think it's 
broader than simply lodging. I think it's about all um, operational real estate and operation operational real estate is rapidly becoming the biggest sector of real estate in general uh, depending on definitions you can go anywhere up to about a third of, of of real estate could now be put into the operational real estate box and operational real estate in a nutshell is where the value of the buildings linked to what the tenant is generating in profits and or turnover so if you're going to assess the value of an office run by wojo or WeWork, what you're going to be doing is not working out what the average price of an office is in that location um, but rather doing the old discounted cash flow analysis and working out you know what the business is doing um, inside that property and um, it is a world in which hotel investors have lived in for at least a couple of decades and they're very familiar with it and i would argue that hotel investors are the most experienced in this particular area and therefore they are in the box seat to take advantages in other real estate areas um, with Accor, um, what we've got is Europe's largest hotelier investing in Wojo to make it the biggest co-working brand in Europe. Uh, it's worth noting that in 2016, Xinjiang, China's largest hotel company, was an early investor in WeWork when, it, when WeWork was raising around $260 million. So there are clearly the hoteliers are active and they're getting stuck into this. Um, and I think it's a very exciting time for anybody who has a real understanding of operational real estate. There we go. You heard it here first. So um, before I get on to the next topic, let's just mention that we're all off to the Hotel Operations Conference this week. If you'd like to join us on Wednesday, there are still one or two seats left. Get along to hoteloperationsconference.com for the details and to book your delegate place. Uh, we'll be having a full day of intensive panel sessions, presentations, and finding out much more about how to operate hotels effectively in the current rather constrained environment. Now on to our next topic, and Catherine's been running the rule over the uh, hotel companies that also own their properties. And I think you're going to start, Catherine, by telling us a little bit about what uh, Millennium Copthorne are up to. Indeed, so yes, Millennium Copthorne's um, <coughs> idiosyncratic chairman, Kwek Lengbeng, is continuing to punish all of his shareholders for not allowing him to take the company private. Last year, you'll recall, many letters were written and amusing they were to read as well. Um, but he said at the time, if you don't do it, then we're going to renovate all of the properties to drag them up to standard. And now that's what they're doing. And it resulted in a 60% drop in pre-tax profits for the first quarter. So let that be a lesson to all of you. Um, <coughs> But something that needs to be doing, and what's been uh, kind of interesting on the side of Millennium and Copthorne is that they haven't as yet been bought by anyone else. And they have, however, been moving away from their own brands. And they're currently talking to Hilton about the Millennium Times Square in New York. They already converted, um, I think, the, uh, where is it, next to the um, uh, big organisation meant to save the world, uh, United Nations in New York. There we go. <laughs> I think there was one. Um, they already rebranded that one, um, in, I think within the last 18 months, to the best of my recollections, and it worked out rather well. So I think whether um, Millennium Copthorne will come out of their round of renovations with a lot of Millennium Copthorns, it seems increasingly unlikely. Um, but whether they'll come out with them with a lot of delightful hotels seems rather likely indeed. Whether the other shareholders will still be there or whether they will be ruining the day, uh, we shall wait and see on that one as well. I think probably not so much. 
but um, yes, fun time to own hotels and a fun time also to own a marble factory, I believe. And <laughs> <laughs> the criticism we've made many times in Hotel Analyst about Millennium Copthorne is that they are a great property owner, um, but perhaps not so great on the whole hotel branding and operating. Well, the operating is not too bad. It's the branding piece, which is their issue, and it's simply not strong enough. And I think it's pretty clear that um, the moves to take some of their big boxes over to other stronger brands um, somewhat underlines what we've been saying um, about the quality of their brands. Um, it remains to be seen exactly what's going to happen to the rest of it. I mean, they've got some, they've got odd bits in their portfolio. I mean, the Copthorne chain in in regional UK, I still can't quite figure out why they're hanging on to that. It, um, it, it seems to me at a good time to sell, but. Um, uh, quick, I think, prefers buying to selling. So, um, well, the regions were always um, hearing about how fantastic the regions are. Well, not, not anymore, we're not. I thought the last latest news was, oh dear, it's all a bit. Well, grim. the Pandox Capital um, Markets Day was very much regions, regions, what's not to enjoy. Yeah. Which, is, which makes a lot yeah, of sense I if think... you've just bought a very large regional hotel company. <laughs> yeah, I think that sentiment has changed in the last few weeks. And talking of Pandox, um, I think they're an interesting. And just going back to the m remarks I was making about Accor and Wojo, um, it's interesting, I think, if you look at Pandox, which are, well, leaving aside Accor Invest, which is the biggest hotel owner in Europe, Accor are the, um, the biggest, um, and they're now second biggest, obviously, because um, of Accor Invest. Um, owner uh, and they are um that the, what they sell themselves on is their focus on the hotel sector um despite all this knowledge of operational real estate i wonder and I, uh, you know and and i have no reason to to suspect that they're about to have a strategy about turn but I, I do wonder whether they're going to resist the temptations to dive into other sectors of real estate where that understanding of operational real estate um, will really help them and they've already shown an appetite for uh, hostels they bought a nice hostel and I think they've done very well out of that hostel and I think there'll be um, more of that sort of thing and those directly adjacent um, things to hotels ordinary hotel properties so certainly hostels but perhaps even service departments and maybe maybe they will just go that little bit further and start looking at some other stuff as well as i say i've got nothing to to say that um, they are doing this or indeed that um, i suspect it could be a few years before but i think the opportunities there and they are i mean they're led by anders nissen ceo who is very astute uh, very accomplished and um, I think he's someone who can't resist a fabulous opportunity when it presents itself and I think that we are in a period now when there is a fabulous opportunity. Here. Oh yes I think we'll see a lot more from Pandox in the in the imminent future. Um, I mean they were looking in, um, they said at the Capital Markets Day they were looking in Spain and places like that so maybe it'll take them into the resort sector. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting this because they they bang on about diversification in terms of geography, um, and, and surely diversification in terms of asset class as well is going to be a good one for them. Um, if they can convince investors, look, we've got some fantastic, unique knowledge here as Europe's second biggest owner of um, operational real estate, um, to dive in and do some some interesting stuff. Finally, we're going to be talking about Choice Hotels. They were probably the last of the big US-listed uh, hotel groups to report their 
latest quarterly results. Uh, but there were one or two interesting comments among what was given out uh, as the numbers were revealed. Catherine will tell us more. Uh, indeed. Um, so one of the interesting things, uh, going back to resort hotels, um, Choice, ever eager to um, expand their loyalty programme and, uh, and general reach, have signed an agreement with AM Resorts, who people will remember from a previous deal with NH, um, and then a deal with um, Hesperia, which of course uh, followed that. And uh, best not to go into that because the podcast is not meant to last more than three hours. But um, <laughs> so they've been doing a deal, and this is an entirely loyalty programme driven agreement. Members will be allowed to earn and redeem points at these resorts um, and all will be well so good news for the people at choice of course um, AM resorts are expanding into Spain um, expanding into Europe in particular um, which obviously is where Spain is and um, with the European vote coming up uh, these things are sometimes confusing um, but uh, one of the other interesting aspects of what choice are up to apart from getting into resorts and getting more into Europe is that they're getting more into Europe there was a lot on the call about how they're looking for international opportunities in Europe they're prepared to invest money um, they're prepared to buy brands and uh, one's mind turns of course to other economy and budget driven people, say for example Premier Inn, who are trying to expand in Europe and how they will compete with this huge, the heft of choice, which uh, may not have got into Europe as much as they, they may have liked to, although they've been making inroads with their um, soft brands, but have a huge, huge distribution platform behind them. And of course, they have a lovely sky touch of which they did not make much mention um, this time round. But they have much, much to offer to the hotel owner. And if they really want to make a move into Europe, which they're making all the noises that they do, then what are the rest of them going to do, eh? Yeah, the question I've always had with um, these franchises is can you expand simply um, by flogging franchises uh, and so far I think the jury must is, is out still so I don't think it's at all clear and it's been very very gradual in terms of their growth um, they ought to be a lot more advanced um, what's interesting if we are at that hinge point when franchising is about to really take off um, which you know there are there is some argument that that we are indeed at that point um, then there ought to be other companies that that are jumping into the fray with this and I would cite Premier Inn as a very good example. Now the challenge for Premier Inn is rather like with Intercontinental Hotels Group uh, the investors don't trust them, their shareholders don't trust the management team with their cash and the the shareholders want all of the money that they um, have raised through sell-offs um, to be handed back. Now in the case of IHG it was 10 billion US got handed back as, as IHG sold off all of its property um, Premier Inn or other Whipred has sold off um, Costa and pretty much having to hand over all of the proceeds from that and maybe if there's continue activist interest in uh, Whipred they're going to have to be start selling off their real estate too but why don't they make a really big push out there into franchising if they're really struggling to to commit capital and really make that growth perhaps there's a, a change of tactics they ought to adopt and make that push by doing the the franchising thing um yeah well i'm, I'm not holding no. my breath for that one but i think it's it, it's it's a possibility then the then the world could well be their oyster but uh well, I know that is the world at the moment, isn't it? So, you're not, not anyway if you're not in Germany. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, we're going to round up our uh, podcast this week. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you again next week. Bye for now.